0: You're listening to Random Fit with hosts Wendy Batts and Ken Miller, winner of a Gold Markham Award for digital media. Welcome to this episode of Random Fit, everybody. I'm your host, co-host Ken Miller with Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how you doing?
1: You can be the host. I'll just be the, you know, I'll just be here listening to you yeah. if
0: you want. I'll be the, uh, <laughs> I'll be the Jay Leno. Hey, Jay Leno didn't have a, a co-host, did he? He was... Um,
1: Johnny Carson,
0: Johnny Carson and uh, Jim
1: Ed McMahon, Ed
0: McMahon. I'd say Jim McMahon.
1: <laughs> I Ed think McMahon. you're. I think we're saying our age. By the way, people probably don't <laughs> even know um, Johnny Carson. And just as as something out of the complete ordinary, had nothing to do with our opening. My son comes in and he's like, Here's Johnny. And I'm like, What? And this happened literally last night before he went to bed brushing his teeth. I'm like, where did you hear that? And he's like, I don't know. I thought it was funny. Someone said it on the bus. And I'm like, Huh, there was actually a talk show host that um that was his opening.
0: <laughs> there you go. Maybe that's our new opening. Well, See, Here's
1: Wendy. Here we are, guys. Welcome to <laughs> All right, so today Wendy,
0: you're going to enlighten me cuz I know this is one of those things you guys, you and your family like to go to, but we're talking about motorsports, right? Motorsport conditioning, training. Training for those guys who have to be behind the wheel or the handlebars, really. So, Wendy, I'm I'm really looking forward to what you have to say about this cuz this again, you talk about NASCAR and and, and you go to the <laughs> events and and I don't. So, this is this is going to be a fun one.
1: I know. Well, everyone assumes because I'm from Nashville that I grew up watching NASCAR, knowing everything there is to know about F1 cars and and motorbikes and and motor, you know, uh, motocross and all the different events. Um, but it wasn't until I had my son that I became a big monster truck fan because he was a monster truck fan. So any monster truck that was out there, we owned and then every time Monster Jam came to Atlanta or the surrounding area, Multiple times a year we would go because it would just make his face light up. And, you know, we're actually going to be talking more about like NASCAR and the different uh, drivers, not necessarily monster trucks. But then how it actually translates now into NASCAR and my family was there was a driver. His name was Kevin Harvick, who is now our number one fan or we're number one fans of his. Uh, Because of my son, Um, he's retiring this year. But um, a couple years ago, he actually uh, transformed his NASCAR into Grave Digger, which was my son's favorite truck. And so Grave Digger NASCAR, Kevin Harvick, uh, drove that car one time on the Nashville um, track. And so they actually had Grave Digger monster truck and his car side by side in Nashville. And my son just became... All about uh nascar and so we do watch nascar every sunday and you know ken and you and i were talking about how these drivers have to be in incredible shape and we started talking about just what they have to go through when they're in the car and that kind of took us down a rabbit hole on wait what do they do and um they do have you know just like they have housewives of whatever they do have the same type of thing about the life of NASCAR drivers. And we've watched that show and they do show them working out multiple times a day, um, for, or hours on end because of their conditioning in order to get behind the wheel. And, uh, that's, that's actually what we're talking about. So when we say motor sports conditioning, we're talking about the conditioning and the health of these drivers and what they have to go through in order to race on the big races over the weekends.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the stats that when we when we're looking this up, it's like, okay, well, they are athletes, they have to support all the all the all the forces that go into their body. So if they're an F1 racer, but you know, turns left, turns right, varying degrees of turns. But when you're talking about NASCAR, you have that centripetal force just on you the whole time. Basically you have your straightaways, but then you have your curves. But the one thing that got me, Wendy, was the fact that they show that their heart rate get up to 170 180 beats per minute and be there for a couple hours when they're racing so that alone makes them an athlete And, and i know that there are people that'll say hey well you're just sitting there you're steering the wheel you know how much energy and effort does it take to push on a pedal and steer that wheel but but when you're talking about someone having to press on on the on the pedal and on the brakes you know 175 pounds of pressure up to Right. But also just the fact that you have to keep your heart rate up. And if you're into into using heart rate as a training data point, then, I mean, how many sports are there to where someone's going to have their heart rate elevated for that amount of time, that high for that amount of time? I know for myself, just to get my heart rate up to one hundred and fifty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's about, I can I can keep it up there for however many minutes. Right. But think hours. So Mm -hmm. the amount of conditioning you need to do when you're not in the car to get your heart ready to to sustain that amount of stress. And, and I just can't imagine what the recovery is like, but, but to, to now, as you're saying, Wendy, if you're going to get them ready to sit into a car, right. And have their heart rate up there for that amount of time, you know, what do you got to do when you're not in the car to make it so that your heart's not going to explode, or you're going to have some kind of big stressful event on your body when it actually comes time to race.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's when you're looking at the different uh, you know, owners. And so, you know, there's I, I won't even say all the names, but there are some that invest a lot in these drivers, as you guys know, because these cars are worth a lot of money and they're trying to win races and and win the titles of in, you know, make it to the playoffs to win the final final cup or whatever, because you earn what they call stage points and points during each and every race. And so, you know, just before we even go back into what we were listening or um, what we're really diving deep into about the drivers, each one of their drivers has to spend at least four hours in the gym doing a mix of resistance training, cardio, and trying to keep their heart rate elevated, because as we've talked about, you get what you train for. So therefore, they are trying to take them above and beyond so they really focus a lot on nutrition they're focusing a lot on their rest and you know the physical conditioning of that particular driver is important because if not i mean think about this guys they can easily become confused and um, disoriented because of the g-forces at driving 200 miles an hour they're, they're, you know, very confined in how much spacing they have to try to maneuver around cars to get what they call clean air, which means to get that car in the very front and have them go around. And so, you know, if they have to be able to withstand, and I was like, G-forces, really? But, but yeah, so when they're taking these turns, and people are trying to like push them out of the way, or you're trying to go bumper to bumper, so therefore you're, you know, you're actually getting kind of dragged behind them, so therefore you're able to come out and And I don't know if you guys have ever seen Days of Thunder, but if not, you know, when they're riding bumper to bumper, the the second car actually doesn't have to work as hard as the front car. And then at the very end, the second car can pull out. They have more gas and then that's how they win. And so when you're thinking about that, too, I was looking about, you know, looking into the car and they train oftentimes even in gyms with no air conditioning because their cars are not allowed to have air conditioning. They're not listening to music. They're not. They're having to listen to the headphones on you know, is, is there a wreck on turn three or what's going on with this car? Or So-and-so blew a tire. Be careful because this is in the road. They're having to really concentrate as they're driving and trying to get ahead. So, you know, they were saying that it can get up to, um, I've got to look to exactly where it was, but I, um, I think it was like over 120 degrees in the actual cockpit. And then on the actual pavement is an additional 100 to you know, 150 to 200 degrees above that. So they're in this suit, fireproof suit, and they're they have to have oxygen, you know, in their helmets, as well as um, as well as you know, water or something to keep them hydrated because it's so hot that they were saying on average. How about this? On average, each of the drivers in NASCAR lose about ten pounds of water weight just in um, just in one race. So they're having to stay hydrated throughout in order to keep themselves able to focus and be in that extreme heat for anywhere from two to four hours, depending on how long that race may last.
0: And that, yeah, that, that is a lot. That's a lot of water weight to lose because, you know, when I was, when I was still a strength coach and it was, you know, it'd be August, September and for conditioning. And if it's hot outside, we wait, we wait, we would weigh the, the football players before they went out onto the field. And then we would weigh them when they got off the field to make sure that they were drinking enough water throughout practice. So for anybody that lost a good amount, you know, I mean, we'd have guys that would lose like what you're talking about, Wendy, um, you know, a lot of water, but not 10 pounds worth. Well, some of the bigger guys, so some of the guys that were 330, 340 pounds, but drivers don't weigh that much. So for them, for so for, yeah, I know, right? So for them to lose 10 pounds versus a 340 pounder that loses 10 pounds of water weight, right? They they'll they'll suck it up when when they when they have a chance. And it's a smaller percentage of their body weight. So when you put that into perspective of the amount of hydration that you know that they need to pay attention to, it's I mean, because when we talk about hydration, we we talk about dehydration, I mean what you're saying, Wendy, is with the the, the cognitive effect, you know, you have to think and you have to have that you have to have fast reflexes, right? You have to have the reflexes to change gears, steer. Like you're saying, you're going for that that uh, clear air, um, and you have to make you know millisecond decisions. Um, so dehydration does affect all that, and that I think just from a cognitive standpoint, that's what makes a lot of these drivers, you know, actually really really elite athletes when it comes to the the mental the psychological demands of that sport
1: yeah and i think it's also i I didn't even do it justice because i was looking at my notes like where was it where was it it's actually when the races begin so think about um like an early race would be like the daytona 500 that's like an early you know early like spring summer type race that's when those temperatures in the cockpit itself 20 uh, it was 120 to 130 degrees and then by mid to late summer it can get up to 160 degrees and guys these these races have been there trust me they are not short so um and you know if you decide to take a little just know that they love the starter engines they like one or two laps and then there's 400 of them and by lap 12. They're like, is it almost over? <laughs> but you have to stay for the burnout because that's also what what it's all about. So, um, you know, it's hot just being a spectator, you know, in these stands. And we have the ability to go and get, you know, anything that we want to eat or drink or hang out um, along celebrating, you know, whatever it is that's going on throughout the race. These guys are stuck in a very small car. They're really having to concentrate in those extreme temperatures. Um, I mean, that puts a lot on us. I mean, you think about when you're out hiking, if you're not hydrated very well, how easily somebody can get dehydrated and what that does to someone. Now, again, these are athletes that train this way, but you know, I think when you think about the G forces and all the amount of pressure that has to go onto your body and the thought process and, and, and that that's one thing, but you know, they were also, they mandate that you have to have be at least 140 pounds in order to drive a NASCAR. And um, if you don't make up that, the car itself has to be thirty-three hundred pounds. And so, if there is a, um, oh, I'm sorry, the weight of the driver is concerned. So um, every driver has to weigh one hundred and forty pounds. And for every ten pound increment below one hundred and eighty pounds for the uh, for the driver, so one forty to one eighty, you have to add an additional ten pounds to the car to equal um, that exact three hundred or three thousand three hundred pounds. Um, so therefore, it's equal. So I was like, well, what if one one driver weighs two hundred pounds and you have someone that's one hundred and forty pounds, there's gonna be a big difference. The car itself has to weigh the same. So whatever those drivers um, equal out to, they have to add more and more and more weight if they don't hit the thirty uh, uh, three hundred mark, which I found very interesting because I didn't know how that worked.
0: So they got to weigh the car and the person. Well, they weigh
1: the car with the person in it, but it's, they can't weigh below 140 pounds. If so, they can't be a NASCAR driver. So, you know, think about this. If I'm a personal trainer and I'm working with someone and they are on the lower end of the 140 or 150 range, I have to be careful because I know too, again, if they start losing weight, you know, in the car because they're sweating it out, that's totally different, but they all have to start weighing the same, meaning the car's itself with the driver inside. So they continuously add more and more weight to the car till it evens it out. Now, if you have something that's like a a person that's 200 pounds driving, they have to make sure that the car, they may have to take certain things off, even though there are particular parts that have to be included in the car, obviously to make it work um, and to make it safe. So, you know, you have that to think about, but then if you've ever watched it, obviously these drivers wear helmets and then they're also in a very protected Um, position in their neck and head, because when they do get wrecks, they want to try to minimize the impact to their head. Um, So think about that as well. They're, you know, they're kind of locked in to this one position for safety. So they don't, they have to have really good peripheral vision. They have to be able to have really good reflexes. They're also wearing these helmets and these suits. So, you know, making sure that you've got, you know, good alignment within your neck um, is going to be extremely important um, throughout your spine because again, drivers, just like you guys know, if you take a, a drive, you know, two or 300 miles and you get out of the car, your knees hurt, your back hurts, your shoulders hurt. Well, these guys are driving at extreme, um, you know, miles per hour. They're getting all these forces within their body. So making sure that they really do have strong core, they're really working on their shoulders as well as their mid to lower back and their core is extremely important in order to maintain the longevity of their careers.
0: Yeah. And again, it's, it is one of those things as well, again, as in when we talked about the, the amount of G forces on your body. So when you talk about six and a half G's, just think again, one, one grab is your weight being pulled down to earth. But now imagine that weight going to your, what is it? To your, to your right, Wendy. Right. So when you're going around that, the NASCAR well, we're
1: turning left and your body is wanting to shift it depends. If you're turning left, your body's going to want to shift in that direction. Yeah. But then think about, too, if you're getting hit, it's going to be the opposing direction. So, And it's the constant. Think about this. We talk about yeah. your body being a NASCAR, and after a race, you have to rebuild it, just like you do after a season with some of these elite athletes. I mean, think about your body as a driver, always getting that same force on one side.
0: Right. So what we are talking about here on Random Fit with both Wendy Batts and I, Ken Miller, talking about motorsports conditioning so yeah so if i've got all that force going one side you've got to have you've got to have that equal and opposite strength to the other side otherwise i can imagine that your head you know between your head your shoulders everything is just completely going to one side it's just kind of like how uh, well not kind of like but when you think about um horse racing when when we talk about horse racing here in the us they always go counterclockwise but i think in 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 the UK, they go counterclockwise, right? So you've got a little different balance in the horses there, so I-
1: I didn't know that. So maybe we should do a podcast on that. I'm like, I always know them to go the same direction as a NASCAR, but okay.
0: Yeah, well, my, my point there being like, oh, that was just a random thought. Well, we are on random. Fit. Well,
1: we are on random. Fit,
0: <laughs> so with all that force to having you go one way, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, you've got that helmet, right? And then your head just kind of, you know, and I'm sure it's not, just a smooth ride, like you're going like a freshly paved, you know, highway, but you know, you got the bumps and, you know, bumps and turns and, you know, steering around other cars, but the jarring that on your neck, now you add six and a half G's that your head has to control with the weight of the helmet. I mean, that's, that's amazing to me that, you know, the, the amount of neck strength that these guys need, not to mention, Again, if you're going one direction and you have to steer the other, you know, so your arms have to go, you know, in in another direction or straighten out or whatever they have to do with that force coming through the body. So that's just a lot of trunk stability, a lot of shoulder stability, a lot of neck stability. So, I, 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 you know, in looking at what they do for conditioning, so not only the heart rate situation where you have to challenge them enough that their heart rate gets up there. But also the, the level of stability training, right? Just being able to hold yourself in space, your postural control, postural endurance. And traditionally, when you're doing these, these postural postural stability exercises, those aren't what you would really consider to be high, dem- hard, high cardio demand or intensive exercises either. So that's gotta be another segment of, of what you would do for conditioning. But then again, if you're training, hours on end multiple times a day just to work on that the the conditioning i'm sure core strength and or actually core stability on top of core strength is has got to take up a significant amount of time when it comes to how they parcel out okay how are we going to challenge this driver's body so that they can be strong enough to drive a car so being able to get them into the weight room doing some kind of core work you know well first of all you know if we're talking about the conditioning side Now you have to consider what over possible overuse injuries that might come with sitting down, hip flexed, knee flexed, arms raised, right, which has got to be an endurance feat in itself where you're having to try to steer, right, through through however many hours that they're going to be racing. But, I mean, the amount of hip flexor work to be seated and trying to kind of hold yourself away from being pulled over to one side of the car, I just – I don't know. I just got to see what their workout looks like and try it for once.
1: I think if you watch the reality show, you're going to see that there's not a lot of um, differences in kind of how we would train using the NASM OPT model. And what I mean by that is, you know, we really work on looking at where the overactivity is. They do reassessments. They are doing, you know, muscle activation exercises, because if you are in a seated position, you guys know that your glutes are going to, you know, end up um, not being as strong as they should be. That can impact your lower back. I know they were saying, looking at some of the the different trainers that were interviewed that do work with this particular population and sport. You know, they were saying what they have to do to really, um, you know, get the shoulders to withstand that time under tension, and so what they do to help that, but then also not do repetitive movements that are going to lead to issues long term. Um, you know, you find that stuff fascinating, but you know, too if you guys look at these different drivers, there are, you, you have to think about a NASCAR driver is completely different than like a rally car driver. And, and so a NASCAR driver, for example, will go and they'll try to get their pole poll, Like they try to win the pole on Saturday, which means they do a Saturday race. So they may go in a couple of days early and practice the course. And then after that, they race to find out their positioning for the start for Sunday's race. So they, you know, there's a few different um, days that they have to be, um, driving in those conditions, but it's again, very short period of time. And then, you know, you take that in consideration of what you've got to do for that driver, but look at a motocross um, individual. These guys are very, what they call anterior dominant, meaning that the front of their body is going to be stronger. um, and because of, of how they have to lean on the bike. And so therefore the front of them are very strong in comparison. So as a trainer to kind of counteract that, we would really focus on a lot of, backside you know, dominant type things but then also making sure they have the flexibility so if you guys have ever seen um a, you know a motorcycle race you're going to see what they have to do with their leg towards the turn they have to have really good flexibility in that turn leg in order to make the turn so the bike doesn't flip and they can also you know obviously win the race so but they they ride for about 30 minutes three times a day um so again a total of 130 minutes on the bike but they get breaks in between you know, if you look at a rally car driver, you're driving six to seven hours, six or seven days a week. And so, you know, again, different, different types of, 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 um, training for these types of individuals. Again, you know, there is the, what is the temperature, you know, where, what type of terrain is it, you know, because all of it does play a factor. And some of these guys actually drive in different races with different cars. And, um, you know, I just, like I said, I know this is totally something completely different, but when I started kind of diving deeper and thinking about what is it that I enjoy doing with my family, obviously NASCAR is a big one only because of what I said in the beginning of this this show. (laughs) But, um, but, you know, I found found it really fascinating to learn more about, you know, what these drivers endure in the actual car, but then also what they have to do to maintain, you know, their um, cognitive ability, but then also physically each and every week.
0: Yeah, I, and I think, Wendy, if you if you take the the grand, you know, the, the kind of like take the, the wide lens view of when it comes to training for any sport, there's what we see on TV, right? So if you're watching NASCAR on TV, and for me, if it's Sunday and I'm flipping through the channels, I see NASCAR on one channel and I'll see golf on another channel. Yeah, nine times out of 10, I'll pick golf. But <laughs> But one of the things that you don't appreciate until you have a chance to work with these athletes is how much time they spend conditioning and training for their sport. So having worked in collegiate sports, and I know you've worked in professional sports as well, Wendy, there's a lot that goes on before they actually hit the field or the track or the pitch, whatever it may be. So listening to you and, and researching what we researched on, okay, well, what does it take for somebody in that environment on the track, behind a wheel, on four wheels or two wheels, what does it take for them to be great at what they do to be to be a leader to be a winner in what they do and it's just amazing what they put their bodies through and and Mm -hmm. i think for for those of us that you know aren't in it every day it's just i mean it's like man these guys are specimens at all levels of of being an athlete so so thanks wendy for sharing your insight here on uh on nascar (laughs) i know right training training for nascar
1: yeah well and like i said you know when i was looking up other exercises and watching videos it's squat jumps it's squats it's um they do rope climbing and i was like oh is that so when they win and they get their checkered flag they can climb the stands and high five and then get their their flag so they can get ready for their burnout but you know there's a lot that goes through it i mean anybody that is a, a you know has been Um, you know, doing some type of sport, they know what it is to have really good reflexes and being able to see peripherally what's going on around them in order to be the best in their sport. Well, you know, there's training for that. There's a training for a lot of different things. And to your point, this was something that was different. But when someone's like, oh, they're just a driver, I'm like, well, you know what? Their physique is almost all the same. So there's got to be more behind. They're just a driver. Guys, these are top athletes as well because they can probably withstand more than many of us can in order just to uh, be able to put a show on each and every week.
0: Yeah. And when you think they have to keep their heart rate up kind of, you know, for the, for the intensity and the duration of a almost the same as a marathoner,
1: the top right? marathon runner is what I read. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, you are an athlete. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so again, Wendy, thanks. Uh, thanks for your insight and helping me better understand what it takes to be a good driver. Um, I, I need help with that anyway, just on city street. I was going to say
1: so <laughs> many different things, but I'm totally not. <laughs> so well, see, thanks for joining. Uh,
0: <laughs> you should see the curb rash on my, on my, on my wheels. All right. So for everybody, thank you so much for listening to us on this episode of random fit where we talked about motorsports conditioning uh, on behalf of both Wendy Matts and I, Ken Miller, thank you for, taking the time out and listening to what we have to talk about on today's episode. So for future topics on random fit, please like, follow, subscribe, comment, share, and more importantly, comment and let us know what you want to listen to. And we'll get that on there for you. So until next time, everybody take care and be well.